This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode of Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, we talk with Casey from the Cult Vault podcast about the different types of cults and the bite model of authoritarian control. Welcome to Narcissist Apocalypse Q&A, everyone. I am Brandon Chadwick, and with me today, I have Casey from the Cult Vault Podcast. How are you? Hi, I'm good, Brandon. How are you today? Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for being here, and today we're going to talk about all things cult related but before we do that if you want to be a guest on our survivor story episodes please do go to our website at narcissistapocalypse.com top of the page there's a button that says guest form when you click on that button it takes you to our guest form page there you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at narcissistapocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our guest form and press the submit button and please do send it in the format that we ask for and today casey thank you so much for being here. I've been a guest on your show before. And you asked me the question of how I got started doing this show. So I guess the first question before we get into all things cults is, you know, what got you started with the cult vault? And tell us exactly what your show is and about. So um, my name is Casey, host of the Cult Vault podcast, which is a long format interview based show where I speak to survivors of cults, high-demand groups, coercive control, extremism, and more things that fall under the umbrella of what John Atak would call exploitative persuasion. (laughs) And the show really started during the pandemic with a four-month-old baby and a partner who worked 12-hour night shifts And me trying to find something in my life that I could show for the number of months that we were expected to be in lockdown for. So I had some friends that were learning how to do the splits and doing, you know, social media daily progress shots. And I was like, wow, I've never been able to to do anything like that. And I saw people who were learning to play an instrument and I was thinking, all of this time spent doing these things. When our baby was 
so small he would only sleep for short periods of time and I would find myself just binge watching box sets of telly uh television shows thinking is this really what I want to be is this really what I want to be accomplished in by the time lockdown ends so I tried baking and I tried knitting and I tried video editing and none of them were really working for me. So I thought, let's just try podcasting. I've got a ton of notes here that I've made over the years on unsolved mysteries that I think are fascinating and I haven't done anything with them. So I sat down to to script some things and record some things and my friend phoned me to say that she just finished reading a book by Jenna Miscavige Hill, the niece of David Miscavige, who is currently the leader of Scientology, about Jenna Miscavige Hill's escape from the the church after growing up in inside the fold. So she said to me that the book was really interesting and there was a lot more to the subject than than she first realized and that I should do a podcast on cults. So I thought about it and thought, I've read a few things. I've watched a few things. I reckon I could research uh, about a few different cults and see what happens. And the first few episodes that I did, I will never listen back to because I don't want to know what that sounds like, that car crash of (laughs) editing and, uh, you know, the, the microphones and, um, and all of that bohemian <laughs> set up. But the the content was interesting. I, I think the very first episode was What is a Cult? And that was led up with episodes on Jim Jones and the People's Temple, the Unification Church, also known as the Moonies, and one about the International Society for Krishna consciousness which is also known as ISKCON or the Hare Krishnas and after that uh, I got an email from somebody named Helen Zuman who had written a memoir about her time on Zendik farm and she had asked me if I'd be interested in reading her book which I was and I did and it was fascinating I said to Helen there is so much more here than what I have been able to gather from researching infamous cults, Zendik Farm being one of the more obscure but still recognizable intentional communities of a certain decade in America because of all the propaganda that they handed out. And some people still have the CDs of, of, of all the music that was made at Zendik Farm. And Helen came on the show to interview with me um, and it was, I was just dripping in sweat. I was so nervous. I'd never done anything like that before. And I released the episode. More and more and more people were reaching out, asking to share their stories. Um, And almost 300 episodes later, here we are having this conversation about how um, cults and narcissism are often overlapped and one and the same in some cases and you know we met because i think i found you on twitter and i was doing research on uh you know the the media companies that help us out and i had questions for you 
And then I started asking questions about like, oh, well, what what's your show about? And then I reala- we realized that we had a lot in common, what we're, we, we do. So cults, this is why we're here. We want to talk about cults. So what is a cult? I don't know that I even have a specific definition of that term all these years later. I started off reading different dictionaries and seeing the sort of anthropological changes in the term, the etiology of, oh, cults are something that the ancient Egyptians had and they had ritualistic sacrifices and they worshipped the sun god Ra. And then other definitions would say, you know, a cult is anything that doesn't adhere to mainstream Christianity or mainstream religion. So Jehovah's Witnesses or Christian Science or the Church of Scientology, even though you may find Christian elements in some of those, well, not so much Scientology, uh, maybe, you know, uh, the the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints and Christian Science and Jehovah's Witnesses would be classed as cults under that definition because they don't adhere to traditional mainstream orthodox Christianity. Other definitions would say when a a single charismatic figure is revered um, and, uh, you know, worshipped in in a sense. And now we're moving past that even because we see with things like online movements and radicalization groups and thinking that there doesn't necessarily have to be a charismatic figure or leader at the top of a hierarchical system to impose a set of coercive methods onto a group of people for a particular outcome. Um, So I always think to myself when somebody asks me, is XYZ a cult? My go-to is is always just to ask, how easy is it to leave? If there are financial ramifications, social implications, if you are forfeiting your business or your relationship or your family or your uh, property, any number of things that, that that could be included in the sunk cost fallacy realm of, of cults and, and coercive control would lead me to think that there has been something untoward within that group and further investigation might reveal that there are restrictions around food and clothing and leisure time and who you can spend your time with and how you communicate with people inside and outside the group. That's not necessarily going to be the case, but a good place to start when somebody says, is this a cult? Is just to think, well, how easy is it to leave? And when we think about, you know, leaving and in online communities, it's not necessarily someone that is stopping you. It can be a loss of friends, social interactions, a sunk cost fallacy of how much time you've dedicated to this community, uh, embarrassment, there is shame that is involved. You might have lost friends over this community and now really have no footing going back to old friends. You are possibly just a little lost and maybe that's uh, a good segue 
into a big reason why people join cults in the first place, which is being a little lost. So you can, can so so can you talk a little bit more about that? The phenomenon that we're seeing with online movements is the same thing that we've seen in notorious cults throughout history, but through a different lens or 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 painted in a different color. So when the Children of God started in America by David Berg, who went up and down the beaches, talking about the gospel of Christ, recruiting people during the Jesus movement, typically first-generation individuals who became a part of the Children of God in that in those earlier days talked about longing for a community. But the reason I use the Children of God specifically was because David Berg had a message that reached out to people that were desperate to find a sense of belonging, a sense of community, a sense of purpose. And he positioned himself to having the answers on how to make the world a better place, how to become part of a family. So the Children of God today is called the Family International. And all of the people that have spoken out about their experiences within the Children of God talk about being part of the family. So what you see online with going online, there is almost going to be, a, like I would say that there is almost a community group online for every niche interest, bizarre, pink, um, esoteric groups and teachings, whatever it is that interests you, there is most likely a corner of the internet that exists that will uh, allow you to find a community that shares those interests and this is where you join groups conspiracy groups spiritual groups conscious communities etc things like that online and you find some belonging and there's idea sharing uh, questions that you have knowledge of the world secrets of the world meanings of life people discuss answers and then deeper rabbit holes can occur and the more those rabbit holes occur the deeper you just keep on going down and down and and down until you have no idea where you are anymore oftentimes if somebody is completely encapsulated in an online community it could be that their entire reality has has shifted um people start to become paranoid of gang stalking uh you know a certain uh, two green trucks go down my road at the same time every day so i think that there must be some type of agency or, or some type of group that is like stalking me um and th this heightened paranoia can come from being a part of really really isolated online community groups and when you go to those community groups and you tell them this, the response that you could get typically is, oh, my goodness, yes, that is the only answer. Of course, that's what's happening to you. So your support group is then telling you that, that you're right in that case, uh, which can exacerbate ill mental health significantly. Also, what comes with leaving an online community group is the amount of time it takes for you to get accepted into the inner circle. You then have to consider sunk cost fallacy with time committed maybe you've given money maybe you've given personal information and there's a chance you could get doxxed because a lot of really vicious online communities will use any and all information against you to 
either condemn what you're saying online if you speak out negatively about the group. I've left because they've started plotting this or they've started saying this and it's completely illegal or it's completely unethical or, or whichever direction the conversation takes. So there's a chance that your personal information could be used against you. There's also a chance that you've formed relationships, uh, long distance relationships or relationships that turn into offline uh, in-person relationships as well. So it's it's a lot about having somebody's reality and belief systems checked, but it's also about understanding the different consequences a person might face if they just decide to leave a group. Um, it, it sounds so easy to say, you know, I'll oh, just walk away or just click leave group on WhatsApp and it will say, you know, Casey left the group chat. But there is in some cases, so many negative ramifications that come with that, that sometimes people don't make it out the other end. Some, sometimes we have the really, the really awful, unfortunate news of a person taking their life because they either couldn't see a way out of the group or they tried to leave and couldn't reintegrate into typical society in real life or, or other online groups or the harassment and the stalking that they were subjected to after leaving was so horrific that they couldn't reconcile with that. What comes with online groups as well as offline cult is also the detachment from family, friends, and loved ones. Like for air quotes, burned bridges with a lot of family members and friends by polarizing them in conversations through, you know, making them feel stupid or just being really argumentative and that's kind of like Lifton's principles over doctrine over self so you'll 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 forfeit your entire family friends um for the sake of your belief I just wanted to finish up one of the points you made before was was excellent in terms of online communities having access to secret or empowering enlightened knowledge is a huge reason why individuals may not leave online communities or may be attracted to them in the first place. If I leave this group, I will no longer have access to all of these secrets and the truth of the world and the, the, the real inner workings of how things are happening. It's also how esoteric cults operate. The Order of the Solar Temple is a, is a um, really, oh, kind of, it's a really good example of that but it's also a really horrible story. So um, I, I, I just picked up on, on what you were saying there about en enlightened knowledge and, and, and higher powers, and, and that also fits in with online groups as well. So within online communities, no matter what kind of community, you know, and you, and you start relating it to the world, to the abuse world, and a lot of the time what happens with an abuser is the abuser tries to become the truth teller that everything that they are saying, you know, becomes the truth in like over a very long period of time, you know, their word becomes um, the gospel and you believe what is being told to you. And, you know, it's done over a long period of time to get you to, you know, think that what they are saying is the thing. And, and when the truth teller, the abuser in the situation is saying 
you know, uh, whatever they're saying, if, if that is the truth, it keeps you in a relationship much longer because, you know, I'm not doubting what the person is being, is telling me you're being gaslit, you're being manipulated in so many ways. And it just sounds like in the online community that immediately, even if there is no head to the situation, just the authority of the message immediately becomes the truth and the truth teller and with a lot of different voices and interacting with them all day you know those people your friends they start to become your friends you know all of a sudden they're truth tellers so even if there is a question of some sort you know the truth teller will come in and all of a sudden you know that's gone and if you're in a community and these are your friends for a very long time. It's very difficult to leave at that point. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Online and, and offline. And that, that's certainly something that happens with, you know, the kind of, well, that's just how we do things here. Well, that's, that's just the truth. Uh, thought terminating cliches that are used to kind of stop people from thinking, which is a lot what happens with the Hare Krishnas. You know, oh, you're not sure about something? Go and chant, go and chant, 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 chant with your beads over and over and over and over, which kind of induces a hypnotic suggestibility within within a person where they are either not critically thinking or are open to being manipulated about, you know, actually this is the truth. And then you're like, oh, I didn't think it was, but now I'm thinking maybe it is. Um, so yeah, all of those things. And it goes round and round and round. Um and and it and it and it all comes together to create what Yanya Lalich would say is a self-sealing system. So Yanya Lalich is one of the world's leading cult experts, and she talks a lot about a tapestry. So a tapestry is this really intrinsic and and difficult piece of art that is woven together by all these different pieces of material. And that's often how cults work. The love bombing will complement the euphoria that a person feels finding a community of acceptance, which will also complement something else that's happening. And when a person wants to leave, the difficulties around being shunned and also fearing for your eternal soul and all of these other things also work to complement one another in creating a self-sealing system of total isolation that stops the person from being able to leave. So what Yanya Lalich would talk about is bounded choice. It doesn't matter what I do. Like it, I, I'm not really able to make any of these decisions myself. Even if I'm being told that I can, that I have free will and I can make decisions, there really isn't anything. But if you pull one piece of the tapestry loose, then very, very quickly, the whole picture starts to fall apart. And that is true in, in terms of authoritarian control because all of the pieces that complement each other have to work in tandem. Otherwise, none of them in separate pieces, as, as I'm sure you could break down with, with narcissism as an entire subject, without one of those elements working to bolster the other, it all falls apart. And that is what you see with cults as well. So it might just take one seed of doubt and a person to say oh well hang on a minute if the bible says this but we're doing this that really for some reason that just 
you know, so many other things have happened that I've just kind of got on board with. And, you know, through all these different mechanisms of control and cognitive dissonance, I haven't been able to really work out why I am on board with those things, but I am. But this one thing here that's happened or this one thing that a person said or, you know, I saw them with my own eyes do something that I'm now being told never happened. And I just can't let that go. It it can just take one small thing like that for the whole thing to come apart. So um, that can happen in, in both online and, and offline groups as well. So you brought up the word authoritarian, and there is something called the bite model of authoritarian control. And this is more of what people think is the traditional form of cults and the type of control and the system of how they work. And this model shows how someone can gain control, but it's, you know, the characteristic traits are, are in this model that we can examine. And there are four quadrants for this model. So tell us about this model and the four quadrants. So the bite model of authoritarian control is a model that was created by Dr. Stephen Hassan, who is another world-leading expert in cults. He developed this as part of a PhD that he completed that was published, I believe, in 2021 officially, although the model itself has been around for a number of years. It was put together off based off of the research that has all, was already conducted by Robert J. Lifton and Edgar Schein and Margaret Singer on brainwashing that was taking part in Maoist China. So that was decades ago. Um, a lot of stuff that you can read from the 50s and 60s, it sets the foundations for what has been built on by other leading experts like Stephen Hassan and Yanya Lalich and Alexandra Stain and Rick Allen Ross. And what has come out of all of this research are various different models that cult experts will use to look at a group and say, is this a cult? Is this not a cult? One of those models that exists is the bite model. And the bite model is made up of four quadrants, which is the behavior, information, thought, and emotional control model. And within those four quadrants, underneath each heading, are some characteristics that you might be able to identify in a documentary about a cult or in your first-person lived experience. Some people have said that the bite model is quite vague so it's almost like you could apply it to um many things in life that wouldn't be considered cult like or coercive but and other people have said that it's user friendly the terminology is not too off putting or academic it's very accessible so i found that it's a really good stepping stone it's a really good entry point for a person who may be like what's just happened to me what what am i experiencing right now i've just left this yoga group um and all of a sudden i have no idea where i was for the last two years or or what i've been a part of so accessing the bite model can be a really good introduction into really identifying what parts of the model you're exposed to 
understanding the terminology and then going to research further specifically once you've identified what you've been uh, subjected to. Yeah, like in the abuse realm of things when it comes to relationships, you know, just looking at the behavior control right now in, in, in the bite model, you know, you have, sorry, regulate individuals' physical reality, uh, regulate diet, food, drink, we hear that a lot. Uh, manipulation and deprivation of sleep. We hear that a lot in ours. Uh, financial exploitation, manipulation or dependence. Again, same, like it's, it's, it's there. Um, discourage individualism. So we have here at this point, you know, not having autonomy. And at the same time, when it comes to behavior control, and we talk about physical reality, Isolation is is part of this. Uh, dependency as a whole, obedience on here as well as there's corporal punishment, you know, that's physical abuse. And then there's some really dark stuff on this list as well. But within behavior control, when we're talking about cults, this is also, this is coercive, this is control as a whole. Um, and, you know, they've just kind of done this on, this is the behavior part, which is really the physical reality of things. And then you have, you know, the information control uh, aspect of things. And here is, you know, when someone is really trying to be the truth teller in situations, in gaslighting and, you know, disrupting information flow with other people. Uh, people that might be safe people to talk to, um, you know, you're they're trying to kind of get it. It's part of the isolation as well, the information control, but you're only allowed to maybe talk to these people. And a lot of, uh, you know, how you would communicate with the outside world and, and people gets disrupted in, in this one. You know, this the information control part here is really specific to... Um, the cults is, you know, cutting off like what you're allowed to see in, in, on YouTube and, and all of those things. But again, you know, even within the world that, uh, the domestic violence world, you know, it might be done, it's said here in a different way is information control and all of these. And this is a pretty thorough list that is on here, but it's really the cutting off of information so that the authoritarian is the truth teller in the situation and that there is no other voice, or at least if there is another voice, that their voice is the loudest one and the strongest right. one. Right. And and typically we'll have other people in submission when when they are subjected to that voice of authority. So then you get into the realm of of conformity you know oh everybody else is doing this so i i need to be doing this as well yeah and i was gonna i thank you for saying that that's the triangulation in the domestic violence world if they bring in someone else to then reinforce something that they want and that's you know you know in in what we usually think of as a cult where there's like 
I say, I was going to use the word henchmen, but like the second in command, like the soldiers, you know, the, the way the rung is done uh, on the ladder, you know, those would be the triangulating people who are keeping you in line. Right. I have right. a question. Well, this person over here says like, you should shut up right now or you know, along those yeah. lines. Yeah. You see that with groups like Nexium as well, where there is an inner circle of founding and early members that are that are taken advantage of by Keith Ranieri, who was the leader and and, and co-founder of of Nexium, along with Nancy Saltzman. And there is such an effect and such a strong use of tactics within the bite model that are used within these early members of Nexium that by the time more people join. Keith Raniere doesn't have to make an appearance. He he can become this elusive, elusive, mystical figure that everybody else talks about. Oh, he he has this IQ and he has these world records and he has these doctorates and he's the most amazing person. He's already said all of these things and put in the groundwork with a number of people who will then go and and it's like evangelizing will then go and tell that message to to other people. So. If, if you were just to go back to, to talking about the Hare Krishnas, for example, in terms of behavior control, there's an expectation of celibacy. Everybody wears the orange clothing and you recognize a group of Hare Krishnas through the chanting. So so the the idea of a uniform really takes away um, an individual identity. It really um, creates that us versus them mentality, reinforces that, oh, I'm part of this group because I wear this clothing. You're not part of this group. So, you know, you can't wear this clothing or I think less of you because you're not part of this group and I'm part of the truth and I'm part of the world and and, and I'm part of the, the, the group that's going to, you know, I'll be reincarnated, but your your karma is so bad and and, and whatever else is, is used within ISKCON. But that's the behavior control. After that, you get the information control, which is using things like thought terminating cliches and um, and saying to people, oh, you can only read these books written by Propupard, which you can buy from ISKCON bookstores. So there's a level of financial exploitation and information control. You can read our propaganda, which we won't call propaganda. But we will say that you can't read anyone else's propaganda, which is like listening to a podcast episode on the cult vault with a former member of ISCON who talks about how difficult their time was. So that is definitely information control. We'll tell you what's good. We'll tell you what's bad. We'll tell you what you can access and what you can't. But there's also this level of mystic knowledge or mystical knowledge. So there's an element of kind of 1984 surveillance. Everybody watches everybody. And there's an atmosphere of snitching. So I see you, Brandon, you only chanted um, X amount of times when you're supposed to chant this amount of time. So I am going to go and tell somebody that I think your faith is wavering because I don't want to accumulate bad karma by not looking out for you, you know? So this is the way that things are positioned. And then there are consequences and repercussions that come from a person having their faith questioned by authority or authority figures within the group. 
then your information is used in a different way where leadership comes to you and says, Casey, I think you're having a really difficult time with your parents right now. And I haven't told anyone about this. I've either written it in my diary or I've told one other person. And then I'm thinking, wow, you really are so enlightened because how could you have possibly known that any other way? And we're getting back into that level of everything complementing one another. So it's not just like, oh, I need to snitch on you to save myself and to save you. But also my information is going to be used to ensnare somebody into thinking that this person above them in the hierarchy has this enlightened ability to read people's minds and and sense when they're down and stuff. So just to look at ISCON specifically, they would be some examples from the behavior and information quadrants that you'd be able to identify quite easily. And when it comes to thought control, how would you kind of explain this to people? What happens in this quadrant? Thought control is really difficult. It's stopping people from critically thinking, from questioning, and really getting down to separating us versus them and and black and white thinking. So it's not only representative in your clothing that you're a part of this group, it's then your inner monologue saying, oh, you're not dressed like me, so you're not part of this group. There's so many um, buzzwords that are used within certain groups that will say, oh, you need to be, you need to be, wary of the worldly people because um in the children of god for example the children would be coached to on what to say if social services or child protective services ever showed up they would say if you get taken away you will be abused you'll be raped you'll be killed you'll be you'll never see your parents again sometimes these things were happening anyway but through god's will and with god's love in air quotes So the way that thought control works is really having that effect of true belief in what is being espoused by the group. Only positive thoughts are allowed. So if you think anything negative, you go back to chanting. So that goes back to behavior control. If you have any negative thoughts and you express them to Um, a friend or a leader that goes back into information control because you don't know how that information is going to be used it might just be that somebody says oh pick up your beads and chant some more so you're back to behavior control but it could be that someone takes that information and then shares it with somebody else in leadership which lands you in some hot water or some trouble in some groups you know there's public shamings there's corporal punishments there's there's all sorts of horrific consequences for doubting your faith or, or doubting leadership. So you really push out negative thoughts because you're worried what the consequences will be if you talk to anyone about your negative thoughts or if you allow yourself to go further into the thought, it's polluting your mind, it's damaging your soul, it's bringing you closer to Satan. Oh, these are satanic thoughts. This is Satan entering my mind. I need to be closer to God. The only way I can stay closer to God is by only having positive thoughts. Um, And that can come through 
chanting, praying, meditating. And, and again, you see how all these things start to complement one another. So it's, it's really the denial of negative things happening and then the rationalization of why the good thing is happening and the rationalization that the bad thing isn't bad. So it's kind right. of like there's no gray area to have a conversation at all. You're really no. in like black and white thinking, good versus evil. And if I'm, if I have that other thought, I might feel at this point shame for having that thought, might not say anything. Everyone else believes that, like that's not a good thing. And then if I verbalize it, there's a problem. If I verbalize my thought, that is a problem. So in a way here, it's creating a self-gaslighting system so you are self-regulating yourself and then you're and then you're and you're then you're not talking to anyone and you're really no. running off of uh of uh the doctrine given to you by the authority yeah and sometimes in in some cases you do see people go basically mute where they they they're so worried about expressing their thoughts or saying something that that isn't conforming that they stop talking altogether or they're so worried that their inner thoughts will betray them if they vocalize their thoughts, but they, that they, that they stop talking. But Tr- truly, really, truly becoming a voiceless individual. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, a- absolutely. And what a lot of experts will talk about is fundamentally at the bottom of all of this is fear. Fear of yourself betraying yourself. Fear of you being harmed emotionally physically financially sexually by voicing these things it's a chamber of fear that is complemented by all of these moving parts so is that the e in the bite in the emotional control where i guess fear they're all connected everything is connecting you know to each other but the emotional part would be just like Fear, obligation, and guilt in the domestic violence, domestic abuse, narcissistic abuse world is how people are, you know, being are running themselves in a lot of way. And my assumption here is emotional control is, I don't know if obligation is fully in there. Maybe yeah, fear, obligation, and guilt here connects everything else or no? I think that with the emotional control within the bite model, with the work that you've done would be very easy to recognize how um patterns of emotional abuse are used to control individuals so when you enter a group there's this idea of love bombing which can enter you into a euphoric state love bombing is oh my goodness you're the most amazing person i've ever met oh i want to can i give you a ride home like oh please oh i've just baked you this pie and i've brought it round like i hope you enjoy it it's handmade like all of these amazing things and people telling you that you're the best person you've ever met a lot of time with domestic violence and victims of narcissistic abuse there's this period of euphoria where you're being treated like the best you can be possibly treated by a person and it comes round in circles and your the chemicals of your brain are basically hijacked so you know when you're low on serotonin 
then there are things that that have happened in an abusive environment that caused that. But then you have these periods of somebody coming to you and threatening your safety, saying, you know, we're going to be doing all of these things. Otherwise, this is going to happen to you. If you leave, this is going to happen to you. If you have these thoughts, this is going to happen. So again, it's that kind of fear chamber and saying, I'm the only person that knows what's right for you. I'm the only person that can do what's best for you. Um, you should you should be appreciative of me. You don't even realize how many people would love to be in your position. You don't know um, how lucky you are to have me in your life doing all of these things for you. It's like toxic. It's like love bombing to toxic positivity to a level of dependency where it's then like, okay, well, if you disobey or disbelieve me, I'm going to shun you from this group. And you won't have access to me anymore. And you won't have access to your family or friends. And you won't have any peace outside of this group because I'm the only person with this knowledge. I'm the only person with the answer to your questions. I'm the only person that can make you feel this way. So sometimes if there are periods of you thinking about leaving, it might be that the abuser or the cult leader or the perpetrator then decides to go back into that mode of, showering you with compliments of telling you you're the best person that they've ever met that they need you you're the only person that can do all of these things for them before going back round into being into that submissive realm of um of coercing you into doing things that typically you wouldn't do so it's it's very much using all of the other three quadrants to instill a level of fear that controls all of your emotions, your happiness. It controls your sadness. It controls your homesickness. It controls your attachments to family and friends outside of the group. It, it's a, a whole kind of, well, authoritarian approach to, to ensuring that your emotions are regulated by leadership. Well, Casey, I really want to thank you for enlightening us today with everything cult related discussing cults the bite model i think many people here listening today can recognize a lot of the abuse that they are going through through the model that we just discussed and obviously the model goes deeper into cults but many in our community are dealing with their own authoritarian in their home not just in relationships but parents as well possibly people at work as well you know the cult of family so thank you so much for that and being here with us today. And as far as you go, uh, what's in store for you in the future? What's in store for the show in the future? Oh, well, I am starting a master's in the psychology of coercive control in September. So I'll be a qualified um, cult expert and not just um, an armchair detective at some point, um, I hope. But um, in the UK, we have laws against coercive control, especially in, well, only currently in intimate partnerships and family relationships. I believe that we're one of the only countries to have this, although Canada is in talks of having some laws in place around coercive control. Something that listeners can be doing 
to uh, bring attention to coercive control, which encapsulate which encapsulates narcissistic abuse of individuals as well, is to talk to your local MPs, talk to your local governors, talk to your local elected officials about your concerns around coercive control, how there's no there's no information about it in mainstream education, how none of us can really arm ourselves against perpetrators and abusers and those that exploit the vulnerable when we don't know what we're looking for. So a really good way to bring more attention to the subject of coercive control is to look at where your country is right now with laws and if there's any talks of implementing anything, but also looking at what stalking and harassment laws look like, uh, what domestic violence um, and domestic abuse laws look like, and how we can complement the laws already in place with some of the stuff that comes under the umbrella of coercive control that might not be immediately familiar to people, like financial coercion, for example. People can look at things like the Tinder swindler and say, wow, that's so bad. This person should be in jail forever. How do they keep getting away with things? But we recognize that it's bad. When it's one person and their spouse and that person is coercing the other or financially controlling them, it might not be immediately apparent to people that financial abuse and coercion is taking place. The way that we can recognize that is with education. And the way that we can do that is by starting to have conversations with our local representatives. So I do that here where I live in Liverpool. And we're hoping that at some point in the UK, laws around coercive control, which is part of the Serious Crimes Act under domestic violence, will be extended to groups, not just one-on-one -on -one situations and family environments. Um, so the more of a universal conversation that is happening around this, the better. And I'd say that's probably me off my soapbox. <laughs> well, thank you for sharing that. And I'm also going to put all of your stuff in our show notes so people can find, just do one click and you'll find the Cult Vault podcast. And I just really want to thank you today for having this conversation with me, going off on little areas here or there and discussing the bite model. You know, I could go on for days asking questions about different types of cults and, you know, the different sects of the religious ones, the business ones. You know, there's so many, there's so many variations. But I just really want to thank you today for uh, educating us and, and being a friend to the show. And thank you for being here. Thank you for the invitation, Brandon. I appreciate you and your work and your insight in linking these two uh, big things together. And so keep going with the podcast, keep going with the hard work, because I'm sure that it's helping people every single day. Well, thank you once again, Casey, for being here. And if you want to be a guest on our Survivor Story episodes, please do go to our website at NarcissistApocalypse.com. Top of the page, there's a button that says Guest Form. And when you click on that button, it takes you to our Guest Form page. There you can read all of our instructions and either send us an email at NarcissistApocalypse at gmail.com or fill out our Guest Form and press the Submit button. And please do send it in the format that we ask for. 
And if you are someone that needs support, Narcissist Apocalypse has a support group. So at NarcissistApocalypse.com, top of the page, you'll see a support group button. When you click on that button, it takes you to our very own safe social network. And inside, you'll see that we have Zoom meetings every Wednesday night, Thursday afternoons, and Saturday nights. We also have forum boards for you to post on to get the validation that you need or advice from other survivors just like you. And you are there as well to give survivors validation too. And you can share your experiences. You can make friends on there. It's a really wonderful group of people in our support group. So if you need support, join our support group today. And that is at NarcissistApocalypse.com. And if you need even more support, please do visit our friends at DomesticShelters.org. And at DomesticShelters.org, they have articles and resources to help you make sense of what you are dealing with. They have every phone number, email address, and web address for shelters in agencies, no matter how big or small the town you are in, DomesticShelters.org has it there. It is a wonderful free resource. And we here at Narcissist Apocalypse have a new friend to the show, and it is an organization called Shelter Movers, which you can reach at sheltermovers.com. And Shelter Movers helps survivors of domestic violence transition to a better and safer life. And currently, it is just a Canadian company, but they are looking to be spreading into the United States, and it's a volunteer organization, and it is a donor-supported charitable organization as well. And what they do is they help coordinate moves for people who are getting out of domestic violence. It's this interesting part of the domestic violence escape process and getting you to safety, getting all of your things out of the home and setting you up with storage as well for all of your belongings. And, you know, this can also include finding pets, homes, and even livestock uh, homes as well as you get back on your feet and move into the future, the new part of your life after escaping domestic violence. So, you know, if you need help like this or you want to support them, you can reach them at sheltermovers.com. And that is it for our show today. And I just really want to thank Casey once again for being here. And from Casey and myself, we hope you have a good night.